Hello, dear listeners. It's Greg here, Chief Audio Archivist at Relative Disasters Informational Exchange. Ella's been feeling a little under the weather, so I thought I'd put together a little something-something for y'all. Way back in Episode 4, we talked about the Poyer scheme of one Gregor McGregor. It's not really a secret that the audio files from most of our conversation got corrupted, which is the reason why that episode's audio quality is so uneven. But what you may not know is that we had spent the first hour of our conversation talking about the awful and disastrous adventures of Gregor McGregor before we even got to the Poyer scheme itself. Well, over the last few weeks, I've been working to restore the original audio files, and I've been able to recover most of that conversation. So here, for the first time, a relative disaster's addendum. The disastrous pre-Poyer life of Gregor McGregor. A little more insight into the life and times of this disastrous individual. Enjoy! So this guy is a guy who, who, like you said, he failed upward. Holy God! And he didn't even have to, he didn't have to work for much. So he doesn't come from super money. He comes from uh, what would basically be kind of a middle class at the time family. He basically started life with both a sense of entitlement and a chip on his shoulder. Oh my God! The first thing that he does that we have records of is at the age of 16, which is the the youngest that you're allowed to sign up for the British Army, he signed up for the British Army. And his family purchased him a commission as an ensign, which is, you know, basically how the armies were run at the time. Armies supported themselves by selling officer commissions. So, exactly. So it's like, if you wanted to be a lieutenant, it's, you know, (laughs) you need to subscribe at this level. If you want to be a general, please donate this palace. No. No, it was not. So once you buy your commission as an officer, you can be promoted without, you know, having to buy the next promotion, or you can just buy the next promotion. It's really up to you, and and this is why, you know, the British Army in the 1700s was run by wealthy nobles. This is what they did. Yes, because they know what's best for everyone. Uh, (laughs) So he gets attached, and this is important. Because he gets attached to the 57th Regiment of Foot, okay, which is a unit of foot soldiers out of West Middlesex. So he's an ensign, and he he joins this military unit right as the Napoleonic Wars start. So England is starting to, like, worry about the French invading them, and they have this hot young ensign named Gregor McGregor, who is is going to at you know 16 17 years old he's going to uh lead a unit so the 57th helps him become introduced to the daughter of a royal navy admiral yet yeah, no <laughs> so basically he married her cuz she was loaded <laughs> and And then he turns around and starts spending her money on buying himself promotions. Okay. So, exactly. So, the 57th foot, by the way, is dispatched to Gibraltar. And it's there for about four years while the Napoleonic Wars are going on. While he's there, he buys his way up to the rank of a captain. 
and he manages to piss off the entire 57th foot because he would always wear his dress uniform, his medals, and his rank insignia everywhere. And he forced all the enlisted men and all the non-commissioned officers to wear their full dress uniforms. I believe it was just when he was leaving his, you know, his house. Exactly. And not just the uniform. You have to have your dress uniform. Your full dress has to be on. It's true. And then they get sent to Portugal. So <laughs> they're basically they go they go into Portugal. The 57th goes into Portugal. They're under the, the grand command of the Duke of Wellington. They're trying to drive the French out of Spain like you do, they go to Lisbon and <laughs> they just sort of stay there and they don't they don't really do anything. The 57th is just kind of there. They are in their full dress uniforms. Exactly, because it would mess up... It would make their uniforms dirty. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. While he's there in Portugal, he decides that he's going to... Well, alright, so the, the history on this is a little unclear as to whether or not this is his decision or whether or not the Portuguese army actually seconded him out. But he gets seconded it out to the 8th Line Battalion of the Portuguese army. And he gets the, the rank of Major there, okay? Now, he does not... Technically, he also made lieutenant without buying it, but, you know, that was a while ago. The reason <laughs> that he has to go into the 8th Line Battalion of the Portuguese Army and not stay with the 57th Foot Regiment is because he mouthed off to a superior officer. Exactly. Uh, he had a, he had a problem with anyone in authority above him because he was obviously the most brilliant person who had ever walked the planet, and he knew better what to do. Uh, lots of people were out there buying military commissions. Not many of them were out there with as backward a grasp of military tactics as McGregor. This is one of those classic, you know, what do you call the guy who graduates last in his medical class? Well, you call him doctor. He is dressed to the nines. And I think I think that that's part of, you know, why he dresses to the nines. Because, you know, the, the whole thing of the um, people who feel super inadequate in their actual lives or feel like they're not capable sometimes will try to mask that by presenting themselves as more capable than they are. The young Captain Gregor McGregor was forced to request a discharge after he had mouthed off to a superior officer and they were they did discharge him and they, they wanted him gone so badly that they actually gave him his money back for the <laughs> yep for the no so the british army retires him in may and gives him back the money he had spent on buying the ranks of ensign and captain. So he, he goes back to Britain at that point. 
No, no, you can't. You're not allowed. Um, so, so basically, the only way to get him out of the army was to second him to the Portuguese army and then send him home. And then a year later, the 57th foot would be part of a huge battle where they they acquitted themselves very valorously and got a lot of acclaim. And so McGregor would start making a lot of the fact that he was a captain in the 57th, even though he left a year before they actually did anything important. Well, and then and then things just get better because the next thing he does is he he's back in Britain now. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah, pretty much. He's basically like, well, I was, you know, I was the captain of the 57th foot. It's true. So, <laughs> so when he gets home, he assumes the title of colonel. Oh, and it wasn't even a title he'd earned. And the other great thing is that he he had he also took to wearing around town the badge of one of the knightly orders of Portugal. I assume he swiped it. Yeah. Well, I mean, somebody could have given it to him as like a pity gift, but I'm guessing he just took it off of somebody's uniform that was going through the wash. Yes. He also starts to put the title of Bart after his name, um, and the title, and the title of Sir before his name. Oh, uh, Bart is, uh, means that he is the McGregor clan chieftain. Yeah. Oh yes. So this guy is walking around as Colonel Sir Gregor McGregor Bart, and he's name dropping everywhere he goes. He's saying he's got family that are you know dukes barons earls princes he is kicking in the front door of london society at the time and attempting to he's attempting to both buy and sort of charm his way in and when charm fails he just falls back on conning his way in well he doesn't need to be employed because remember he's got an incredibly rich wife Well, you know what? She died. Yeah. So basically, he gets home, they move to London, and she dies. So what happens is, with his wife gone, his source of income is gone. So he has a choice here. He can try to marry another rich person as quickly as possible, but he knows that there's going to be a backlash in london society if he does that because his wife just died he could try to get back into the army but again they kicked him out one of the writers characterized uh his return would be awkward at best um <laughs> and then his third option is go home to farm the family lands in scotland you and i would look at this as oh those are his only three options but you see we are not common people as gregor mcgregor he takes a fourth option. Yeah. He decides he's going to go over to Venezuela. <laughs> there it is. That's the ticket. He's going to go over to Venezuela. 
and he's going to tell them that he is a high-ranking British officer there to help them out in their uh, Venezuelan War of Independence. So, McGregor shows up in Caracas. <laughs> the, the revolution is not going well, first of all. The royalist armies are pretty much taking, taking back the country. Uh, the revolutionary government is starting to fracture. So in strolls Gregor McGregor. He, he's just here to do his best. Again, and again, he is, he is still calling himself Sir Gregor. And he is still using that medal saying that he is a knight of the Portuguese Order of Christ. He's, he's wearing his full-dress uniform, obviously. <laughs> so he presents himself directly to General Francisco de Miranda, who is the leader of the entire revolution. And of course, he says, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a former British military officer from the famous 57th foot. Yep, that was totally me. So he walks in, introduces himself, and walks out in command of a cavalry battalion. <laughs> and the rank of colonel. The rank of colonel. There he goes. He's failed upwards. So basically, he's, he's half PR stunt because he, this is the thing, and I think this is the thing that's most important to understand about any con man. You have to be persuasive and charismatic, and this guy was both. He was, he was the quintessential dashing officer, right? You know he's going to sweep somebody's daughter off their feet. Yeah, he sounds like he was good until it came up to, okay, show me. When he goes into London society, they're like, oh, this guy again. He shows up in Venezuela, and everybody's like, oh my god, this guy. At the very beginning, he does lead his cavalry force into a battle. And this battle, the details on it are sketchy, but they win. The cavalry wins. He, he does a good job. The rest of his battles are kind of hit and miss, but he, he, he's, got, he's got his win under his belt. Exactly. So, remember what I was saying about, you know, the dashing guy that you, you kind of know somebody's daughter is going to get married off to him? Yeah. So, he marries Yosefa, who is the cousin of Simone Bolivar. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> so... Right then and there, Francisco de Miranda makes McGregor a brigadier general. However, it's kind of meaningless because the revolution is, at this point, failing. The royalists are just about to take Puerto Cabello, um, and the republic is going to fall. So, afterwards, so everybody who was anybody in this revolution flees to Curaçao, including Gregor McGregor. Well, he was a brigadier general. So, yes. 
Yes, he's got a medal. He's he's Sir. He's Sir Gregor McGregor. He gets bored? Yeah. So... It tends to be dangerous. So basically what's going on in South America right now is that revolution against the Spanish is just breaking out everywhere. Please. <laughs> yeah, I, do you want to expand <laughs> in non-kindergarten terms? Do you want to expand on that maybe? <laughs> They were not using their words. They were using guns in large amounts. And so... Oh, dear God. Yeah. Basically, what winds up happening is he goes to New Granada. He leaves Josefa in Jamaica. And then he shows up in Socorro. And he gets in that enviable position of being the only guy... Who brought up through a military system in an army of volunteer revolutionaries who have no military experience, or very little. He's got the... Yeah, it's it, he's, he's kind of like the guy at the office who's the only one who knows how to work the... The copy machine, thank you. And so basically he shows up and he, and he starts whipping the, uh, the revolutionaries into shape. The people around him are pretty high on him. They're, they're saying, you know, he's, he's a good guy. He's, you know, the troops, are, the troops are in good fighting forces now. The people under him hate his guts. And, oh my god. I'm wondering, I'm wondering like, does it happen because you can't make revolutionaries wear a dress uniform? Like, is that where the divide happens? Anyway... So there is a letter that was written from an official. Here is the here is the quote uh, from this this official in the district capital in a letter to his friend with regards to McGregor. Quote, I am sick and tired of this bluffer or Quixote or devil knows what. This man this man cannot serve us in New Granada without heaping 10,000 embarrassments upon us. End quote. Okay. So meanwhile. <laughs> to just super embarrassing right off the bat. I mean, he's, he's just, he's so useless. And keep in mind right now. The guy is, like, in his 20s? I, I believe so. Hang on. Let me do the math on this. No, I no, he's in his early 30s. Keep in mind, this guy right now is in his early 30s. Okay. Not much better. No. So, Simone Bolivar, meanwhile, is trying to re-revolt. And the Spanish stop that revolution very quickly around the time that they fail, the New Granadan nationalists fail as well. And McGregor pulls the first in a, uh, in a long line of this, this move. Okay, so this is the move. Go ahead, guess, yes, please. 
No, because he's still married to Yosefa. He's still married to Yosefa. And this isn't the first time he's he's done that. So, so this is the this is the great McGregor military tactic. We're gonna call this the McGregor maneuver. All right. Here's what happens. He's holed up in Cartagena, and there's an entire Spanish army coming to just kill everybody. So McGregor turns to the couple hundred guys there, the hard-bitten, you know, we're going to defend to the last guys, and he says, don't worry, I'll go get help. And so he, he grabs a hold of one of the gunboats and makes a run for Jamaica. Metals flapping in the wind. Leaving... No, of course he doesn't! Leaving all the people in Cartagena to get shot by the Spanish. So that's the McGregor maneuver. And don't worry, we'll come back to it. So right now it's 1812. Okay, so in, in, in North America, there's, there's a bit of noise going on. And down here in Jamaica, the British welcome him home as a hero. All right? Like, he is, oh my god, one of the best quotes on this guy was somebody referring to him as the Hannibal of modern Carthage. And I am just, really? <laughs> a heap of embarrassments and a Hannibal. Oh my god. So, Simone Bolivar, once again, is trying to get a new army together. And he calls up his good buddy, McGregor. And he gives him the rank of Brigadier General again. And... <laughs> yes, he was. Yes, he was. So why did he keep getting McGregor involved? So, here's what happens. Again... So McGregor, he goes out and he captures one of the port towns with his unit. And the Spanish are sort of pushed back. And McGregor goes out to Caracas to try to recruit. So he's, he's going among, you know, the, the, the folks out in Caracas to try to raise up more people. Meanwhile, Simone Bolivar's main force gets beaten to crap out at La Cabrera. And so McGregor is sort of stranded out in Caracas with an army between him and Barcelona. In fact, he doesn't just have one army, he has two armies. So this is the moment where Gregor McGregor succeeds at a military tactic in the worst way, but he succeeds. This, seriously, is the big moment for Gregor McGregor. He has to retreat all the way to Barcelona. Except he doesn't have access to a gunboat. <laughs> so his entire, uh, his entire group, his entire army, is being harried by two royalist armies. And they are retreating towards Barcelona. So basically what McGregor does is he says, okay, we are going to kind of in the best military tactical way we're just kind of gonna make a run for it <laughs> guys i'm a really good general i'm a really good general just listen to what i'm doing 
I am a brigadier general. Do what I say. It's going to be fine. So last time he had a cavalry unit. This time he doesn't. So he's all he's all foot soldiers, except for himself, who has a horse, and a couple of his officers have horses, but they don't have any carts. So anybody who gets shot during this retreat just stays where they are. The wounded are left where they fell, basically. Here's the high water mark. Here's the glory moment for McGregor. Just south of Caracas, he runs into one of these royalist armies. And McGregor charges them. So all of his troops run smack into the army and force the Spanish to retreat. And the Spanish army regroups behind them, but they break through. And McGregor's leading his guys still towards Barcelona. The Spanish army has to take a couple days to regroup, but they do regroup and they keep coming after him. And so he doesn't really have guns. He has a bunch of archers. He holds up in a tactically superior ground, keeps peppering the Spanish soldiers with arrows. The Spanish would charge. They get shot with a bunch of arrows. They fall back. They charge again. They get shot with a bunch of arrows. They fall back. And after three hours of this, McGregor rallies his guys and charges and breaks the Spanish army again. And they're able to retreat all the way back to Barcelona without really that much more of an, of an incident. So basically a 34-day march across South America. And he won. He won two military engagements that were, I mean, they would have been tricky for anybody, let alone someone with the competency of Gregor McGregor. And he wins. And everybody loves him now. He gets When he gets back to Venezuela, he regroups with the rest of the army, and he and the overall commander of the army, they defeat Francisco Tomas Morales at El Junca, and they defeat him in spite of McGregor, because McGregor, this entire time, is trying to tell his superior officer, the, the overall commander, what he should be doing. And the officer's like, no, I, I know what I'm doing. Um, thank you. Thank you for your input. <laughs> yes, he is. Oh, God, yes, you'll love this. The retreat earned him the title Xenophon of the Americas. Xenophon. I know. So anyway, <laughs> his resume at this point is crazy good. And it's about to get better because he's about... <laughs> more so here's what he does he gets this glowing letter of recommendation from simone bolivar and he picks up yosefa and they head off to margarita island because juan bautista arismende needs good officers now arismende is trying to take florida <laughs> and here comes the next part of the legend of gregor mcgregor so, at this time, of course, Florida is under Spanish rule, but it's basically, it's a collection of Spanish colonies, okay? It's not like, it's not a unified state, really. It's all of these sort of separated places. So, what Arismende tells McGregor is basically, if you can capture the main port of West Florida, which, you know, is a, is a Spanish colony, but you could do it then 
what could happen is Spain will realize they can't resupply these far-flung colonies of theirs that they don't really care about, so they'll just give up. And McGregor's like, yeah, they totally will. So, <clears throat> well, you see, he gets another promotion here. <laughs> he is he is now a divisional general. The Xenophon of the Americas. No, nope. And the Hannibal of New Carthage, don't forget. So he's Hannibal, Xenophon, and he is he is awarded the Orden de los Libertadores. It definitely comes with a medal. So here's what McGregor does. He goes up into the Americas right now. Now, keep in mind, War of 1812 is over at this point, And he runs up into the Mid-Atlantic and particularly... Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, yeah. So, well, and here's part of its history. <laughs> and here's the first glimpse of what would later become his Poyer scheme, okay? So what he does is he raises $160,000, Yep. It's way up there. And he raises this money by selling scripts to investors, saying, basically, once we take Florida, you you are pre-purchasing fertile land in Florida, okay? Or your money back with interest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so you can't, you can't lose. <laughs> so. So he leaves Charleston in a ship with about 80 to 100 soldiers who are U.S. citizens, all right? And his money. Oh, he has the money. Now, even though he was sent up there to take the port of West Florida, he decides what he's going to do. <laughs> he's going... He has a better idea, yes. He's going to take Amelia Island. Now, Amelia Island, have you? It's beautiful. But it's not super tactically important to the rest of Florida. Um, right. Yes. It's not a major port. So here's the thing. The Spanish have a fort there. It is Fort San Carlos. All right. Now, Fort San Carlos has a small garrison of between 50 and 100 guys, so around the same size as McGregor's guys, but they've got a ton of cannons, okay? And McGregor lands his troops on the beach, and the Spanish commander promptly surrenders without either side firing a shot because he thought that this was just like the skirmishers and the main army was right behind him. So he takes Amelia Island, and he raises a flag, which is a green cross on a white background, declaring to everyone that this is the Green Cross of Florida. <laughs> yes. Well, he has it on a piece of cloth, and they've run it up a flagpole, so I guess it is, yeah. It is not. It is attached to the Republic of Florida. Which is this, this, well, <laughs> we're getting there. 
So, he issues a proclamation. <laughs> oh, it ends super well. So he issues a pro- he runs the flag of, of the Green Cross of Florida up the flagpole, and he issues a proclamation in which he congratulates his men on their glorious victory. He says this is just the first step to freeing all of Florida from tyranny and oppression, as we are now the Republic of the Floridas under a government headed by himself. And the first thing he does, and this is this is uh, this is such a scum move here. First thing he does to raise money, he does two things. One, uh, at the time. Amelia Island was sort of a haven for local pirates, so he attempts to tax their haulings, basically. That's step one. Yep. Step two... Exactly. So the second thing he does is he declares that he has the governmental authority to seize all enslaved people on the island... And raise money by reselling them. Yes. No. No, no. This isn't a good thing. <laughs> so, and to top it all off, his people are deserting. His soldiers are deserting in droves um, because he's prohibiting looting. So, <laughs> it, well, no, that was the pirates. He wasn't going to let them loot at all. And the other thing is that... The rest of the people that he, like, recruited in South Carolina and Savannah are still in the U.S. because American authorities aren't allowing them to leave port. <laughs> so he's got, he's, he's, at this point, he's gathered about 200 soldiers around him. And everybody's like, all right, all right, we need to, in- we, we've got the momentum. Let's invade mainland Florida right now. Let's go take that port like we said we were going to. We've got a flag and everything. So McGregor says, no, guys, we can't, we can't, we can't go yet, all right? But don't worry. Don't worry. You're all getting paid. Here is your full paycheck in Amelia dollars. Yeah. He had hired a local paper printer to print dollars uh, that are redeemable at the First Bank of Amelia of the Republic of the Floridas. And, yeah, so a bunch of his guys desert. And then, so, finally, the Spanish, I guess, notice is the right word, that some idiot has taken Amelia Island and declared himself the king of Florida. (laughs) So, so, here's what he does. (laughs) The Spanish start massing an army on the mainland opposite of Amelia. And McGregor says, don't worry, I'll go get help. (laughs) The McGregor maneuver! (laughs) So he gets on a schooner, and two weeks later, he arrives at Nassau in the Bahamas. And this is just, dear God, the amazingness of this guy. Okay. So, he comes back in what we would consider, you know, defeat, if not humiliating defeat. No, he does not. Because here's the first thing he does. 
he hires a silversmith to have commemorative medallions <laughs> uh-huh which bear the green cross of florida and a latin inscription amelia wene wede wike and Duce Mac Gregorio Libertas Floridarium, which translates to Liberty for Florida under the King under King McGregor. Or Duke McGregor, depending on how technically you want it. But the problem is that he he's now a few people are questioning, hey, where'd all this money to have all these medallions made come from? And he says, Don't worry about it. And a couple of people, uh, send inquiring letters a couple of the people that he raised that uh 160,000 dollars send a few inquiring letters and he ignores them meanwhile the troops that he left behind actually this is a little bit of a sidebar but it's it's kind of a cool little little historical note so basically the spanish launch two separate assaults on the island and the people of the island actually hold the island they repel both spanish assaults and then a man named uh, Luis Michel Ori, who is uh, an interesting figure in early America. He's, he's basically a French pirate. He swings in with another 300 guys, and they negotiate a peace with Spain. Exactly. Exactly. And so what they do is they officially surrender to America, and the American government holds the island in trust for Spain. And then, you know, a couple years later in 1819, they buy Florida anyway. Uh, yeah, well, no. Um... <laughs> uh, no one. No one is, because the, the Republic of the Floridas does not exist. And basically, the other thing that McGregor does, which is the classic, you know, con man move, is he tells everybody what a glorious job he did, and he makes sure that that job hits the, the newspapers first, basically. So a bunch of the soldiers who finally straggle back into the mainland of, of the Americas the next year are all like, oh my god, this guy screwed us over. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? We've been reading all these glowing stories about your valor. King Gregor? He's wonderful. Oh, also... <laughs> small side note. Uh, his wife uh, gives birth to their first child. Three guesses on what they name him. Gregorio. <laughs> they name him Gregorio. Gregorio McGregor. Good luck, bud. Oh, God. Anyway. After that, McGregor, he goes through some, some other stuff where he's he kind of bounces around between trying to break into high society of London and trying to continue to find some military that wants him in South America. And he really, really screws up in one of those military ventures. he Basically, he goes back down to Venezuela, and he, he meets up with his, you know, newly handed to him army, and 
he's supposed to lead them in attack on Portobello. And before his troops hit Portobello, this other British officer who is also commanding troops down there, a guy who, who will become very important in the fight against McGregor, Rafter, Colonel Rafter, Colonel William Rafter, okay? So Colonel William Rafter is technically under McGregor, but he leads the force that takes Portobello without a fight, by the way. Not, not a shot is fired. And McGregor watches the whole thing happen from one of his ships. So he quickly comes ashore as soon as he realizes that Rafter is won. And he says, you know, oh, guys, we won. This is, you know, what a glorious victory for us. I'm so glad I was here to lead you to glorious victory. And Rafter's like, dude, we can't stay here. We need to move right on to Panama City. And McGregor's like, no, it's fine. And so what he does is instead of moving on to Panama City, which would have been the, the, the military goal, he sits in Portobello for a couple of weeks designing a new chivalric order, emblemized again by the Green Cross, and not paying his soldiers. Yeah, this is how badly he screws up. He doesn't even have his troops out on patrol. And so the Spanish just show up in, you know, early one morning and march right into Portobello. Literally, McGregor is still in bed when the Spanish troops open fire on, like, his house. Here's what he does. <laughs> he does the McGregor maneuver. He says, everybody, I'm going to go get help and jumps out his window. Paddles out on a log to one of his ships He's brought aboard the ship by one of his naval officers. The first thing he does is he issues orders to Colonel William Rafter to tell him not to surrender. We've, we've got you. Don't surrender. So Rafter, he's got about 200 guys with him. They hold the fort and they keep waiting for McGregor to order the ships that they have in harbor to fire on the Spanish which is what you do in this situation. With big guns that can scatter troops. And then he watches McGregor order the fleet to sail away. So William Rafter and the remnants of his army have to surrender and they are all executed by the Spanish. So McGregor, he, he's not looking great because he's pulled, he's pulled the McGregor maneuver three times now. No, I don't think he is feeling weird. I think he's feeling like he's a brilliant general. Why, why aren't these, you know, uh, this is all the fault of my inferiors. And he pulls almost the exact same thing again, basically. He takes a small army to Rio de la Hacha. And his remaining officers include Lieutenant Colonel Michael Rafter, the brother of William. Yes. So Rio de la Hacha is an important port, and the Spanish open fire with cannons. The ships have to withdraw. But then McGregor orders a night landing. They're going to do a daring night raid. And he's, and he's going to, he, he tells his officers he's going to take personal command. And Lieutenant Colonel Norcott, one of his guys, leads the night attack, 
and waits for two hours for McGregor to show up. And McGregor doesn't show up. And then the larger Spanish force attacks. But Norcott, really brilliantly, what he does is he splits his troops and they basically just pepper the oncoming Spanish and counter around them and actually take the town. So Norcott takes the town and he raises the flag over the fort, you know, to say, hey, we, we got it. McGregor refuses to leave his ship. Because it's a trick, obviously. So Norcott, Norcott personally rows out to his ship and McGregor finally sets foot. Oh my god. And again, he gives himself another title here. He proclaims himself His Majesty the Inca of New Granada. And then... Yeah. <laughs> yes, the Inca. So, again, he's not paying his troops. Everybody just sort of wanders around and gets drunk. Spanish forces start to gather to retake the town. Norcott and Rafter, Michael Rafter, brother of William, basically are like, screw this guy. And they leave on a captured Spanish ship, and they sail back to London. Now, McGregor convenes the remaining officers, promotes everybody, gives them all the Green Cross of Valor. There it is again. And he, he did not, no. Although, at the, by this point, he has uh, named his ship the Amelia. And then he he says, you know, men, I'm going to be with there with you there on the front lines for the defense of, this, of the fort. But before I do that, I've got to escort the wife and children to safety. So he puts the wife and children on one of the ships, and he gets on the other ship, and they sail away just as the Spanish attack, and all of his troops are killed. News travels super fast, and his wife and infant son get kicked out of their home in Jamaica. There is a colony of enslaved people that live on the outskirts of the Jamaican main settlements at the time, and they're the only ones who would offer them sanctuary, so they do that. Jamaica issues a wanted notice for McGregor for piracy. He can't go back to Jamaica and collect his family. He can't go back to Simone Bolivar because Simone Bolivar is so furious with him after these last two debacles that he has officially charged him with treason and ordered his death by hanging if he ever sets foot in South America again. Yeah. He gets Josefa and Gregorio smuggled out of Jamaica. They may have even smuggled themselves, because this is the thing. McGregor kind of drops off the drops off the uh, the map a little bit. And meanwhile, Michael Rafter has gone back to London, and he has published a book. He's dedicated the book to his brother, Colonel William Rafter. And the troops abandoned at Portobello and Rio de la Hacha. And the book is titled The Memoirs of Gregor McGregor. And here is the money quote. Quote, That any person could be induced again to join him in his desperate projects, 
would be to conceive a degree of madness and folly of which human nature, however fallen, is incapable. End quote. Yeah, except here's the thing. McGregor shows up again at the court of King George Frederick Augustus of the Mosquito Coast on the Gulf of Honduras. <laughs> and that's right about where the Poyer's scheme got started. If you haven't yet, head over to episode 4 to find out how this doofus declared himself a king, stole a bunch of money, and got a lot of people killed. Thanks so much for listening to the tale of Gregor McGregor and his life full of disasters, most of them self-inflicted. We hope you enjoyed the story and the discussion. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at relative.disaster at gmail.com, or you can check out our Instagram at relative.disasters. <laughs>